right. How fun. Come on. Very good. You guys can be seated. Oh, we're going to have some fun tonight. If your type likes following an actual Bible, Luke 23, I'm going to get there um, in just a second. I want to read just a story about Jesus. And, and hopefully, um, anytime I speak, I want Jesus to get bigger. I want the cross to work better. I want the resurrection to be central. I want scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I don't want us to just be a group of people who believe the right things, but rather allow those things to fundamentally shift the way we see our whole world. That that's when truth really hits its umph. Um, for those of you who don't know me, this is all I do for a living. I travel around and speak. I've had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor who just happens to have his rabbi training as well. So my stuff comes from that bent. I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology, so I am qualified to sort your head out. So careful. <laughs> um, on your way out tonight at that back wall there is all of our resources. Everything's available now in USBs or direct downloads, all right? So USBs, direct downloads, we, we have videos and audio. Um, if you're wondering why we carry that around with us, it's just simply because we make a lot of money from it, okay? And, and the reason we do that is because we live with the conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. So 100% of what we make from that, we give to the poor and the afflicted. We have three orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities. Uh, two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking. We get them off drugs, high school educated, and job trained so we can break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Town flats. Yeah, so it's really, really cool. <clears throat> Just to remove all manipulation, uh, it's July 2nd. So yesterday, we gave July, right? So, we, we, so whether you buy or not, they're going to be fine for the month of July. I would never tell, you know, children with mental disabilities in, in China, hey, see if those people at Colchester buy before you eat. That's not how it works. We, we have an amount that, that we give every single month that requires us great faith to believe for. It's not a small amount. It's not enormous, but it's enough that for one guy traveling the world, it requires us great faith. And if at the end of the month we make more than that, we give it. If we don't, we just eat it because we what we want to do is we want to live by faith as well. So here's all I'm saying is on your way out, come grab something. Since the last time I was here, we've put out three new ones. Um, um, if you would do, do me a favor, though, because we really worked it. Barry and I got together and really worked this out. I had one night, and, and we, we just we made this thing happen. And I'm so glad. Thank you so much for coming out on a Tuesday night. This is a real testimony to, to, to what, what God is doing in Colchester and, and, and the relationship that we, that, that we have. But if you could do me a favor, if you don't want anything, God bless you. I'm going to see you next time. If you know before you leave you're going to get something, if you would buy first and chat second, that would be awesome because I have to tear it all down and take it with me. So if you, if you guys would be so kind um, to do that. It's been so good. Seven years coming, you know, and, and honestly, I, I promise you, Barry and Sarah, I, they're the only people on the earth that I made this first impression with. My first time here, I was flying in from Israel and Israeli security confiscated everything I showed up here, and Barry and Sarah said, do you need anything? And we had to go to the store and buy underwear. I, I was now what a first impression. Sarah, we happened to come straight here. Actually, it was the, the Holiday Inn over somewhere. We're having to go straight to that venue, and Sarah's like, what size underpants do you wear? I'll try to pick you. Because we're coming in for being amazing, amazing. And that's, that's how good friendships start. Good friendships start when there, there's no image there's no pretending, there's no anything. When you land from Israel and you go, I need some drawers. Now that, that is a fantastic first impression, all right? So 
I, I want to talk to you tonight about Jesus because I, I figured that was a, a really good topic. I want to, um, this, this is an Easter message that I wrote years ago, and then it sort of just went away. And I, this year I chose to uh, resurrect it, which is kind of, it's ironic, but I, I, I chose to resurrect it. I want to I read this story about Jesus, um, hopefully to give us a new way to look at this um, and, and, and hopefully um, change the way. Look, it's Tuesday night. I'm in church. I'm feeling no pressure to be an evangelist at all. Um, I, I want to talk about the way Jesus lived his life and then challenge us to be that way in our world. In first century Christianity, it was not about going to heaven. It was about a group of people determined to being a different way in this world in order to establish a new kind of rule and reign. And that's, that's what we're talking about. And I think if Jesus, if Paul was serious and Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. We can see a lot about the heart of God through how Jesus handled himself, right? So I want to I read this passage, and hopefully we'll see something um, new in it. This is the account of Jesus' trial. This is what it says. Then the whole assembly rode and led, led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes the payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Messiah, which, by the way, in our world means he's claiming to be king. Now, I want you to notice something. When they accuse Jesus to Pilate, they do not accuse him of blasphemy. Why? Pilate wouldn't have cared. What difference does it make if they're blaspheming a, 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 a Jewish version of God? To Pilate, that is irrelevant. They don't accuse him of sinning. Why? Once again. Pilate wouldn't have cared. As if Pilate's the authority on what sin or sin is or sin isn't in a Jewish world. They're clever. They accuse him of treason, which is going to easily get Pilate's attention. They're like, hey, he's claiming to be a new kind of king. And if Caesar finds out about this, he's going to hold you accountable, bro. You have got to sort this out. And so, so, so Pilate does what any smart person would do. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? He just flat out asks him, hey. Are you what they're saying? Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Jesus is so clever. You have said so. In other words, bro, I'm in your world. I know this is all rigged. You're going to do whatever you're going to do. I'm, I am in your world. Now, watch this. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest in the crowd, I don't find a basis to charge them. Now, once again, Paul's not, I mean, Paul, Pilate's not talking about Jesus' sinfulness. That's a whole nother issue. Pilate wouldn't know what sin or sin isn't in a Jewish world. Pilate's saying you're accusing him of being a rabble rouser. He seems to be a person of peace. He doesn't fit the mold of what rabble rousers normally do. Where's his army of people terrorizing folks? Where's, where's the demonstrations? Where, where, where are we throwing rocks and setting stuff on fire? No, he's not. He doesn't seem to be a rabble rouser. He seems to be a person of peace. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. Keep going. Then he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction. And so he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, on the surface, this story flipping well makes no sense. Here's what you have in this story. You have the head honcho of the entire region willing to get out of bed to hear one gripe about one guy in the middle of the night. 
That makes no sense. That that would be like that would be like the prime minister. That'd be like us showing up at 10 Downing Street, knocking on the prime minister's door and saying, "Excuse me, can you get out of bed at 2 a.m.? I have a problem with my neighbor." And, and the prime minister going, "Hang on, let's come on in, get a cup of tea." That makes no sense. But that's what you have in this story. You have the head honcho of the whole region willing to get out of bed in the middle of the night to hear one thing about one guy, and then when that doesn't go so well, he ends up getting the number two guy in charge of the whole region out of bed to hear the same thing about the same guy. So here's what's happening in the story. Number one and number two people in the entire region are getting out of bed in the middle of the night to hear one complaint about one guy. That makes no sense, which leads me to a few questions. Next slide. If Jesus's main message was to believe in him in order to go to heaven, why kill him? Can't be. Like, if Jesus' whole thing was, hey, say this prayer, believe in me, one day you'll die and go somewhere else, that's not worth killing someone over. That's just sort of a weird thing. It's like, okay, that guy thinks he can get people into heaven. Or if Jesus' main message was to take care of the poor, why kill him for that? Like, if his main message was, hey, you who don't have, share with those who don't, why would you kill a guy for that? Third, why not kill him yourself? Why, why do you need to use Rome? Why get Pilate out of bed? If all you want is him dead, surely there was some underground Jewish mafia contingent that they could have lured him behind a, a small alleyway and just sorted him out. Surely, of course, Jesus heard people's thoughts. So that might be a little tougher, but none the, nonetheless, why do you need Pilate to do your dirty work? And, and next slide. Why are both Herod and Pilate even in Jerusalem? They both lived in Caesarea. What you find in this passage is both Pilate and Herod are not where they're meant to be. They are both in Jerusalem when they lived in Caesarea. Why would they be there? Now, I want to look at this and, and hopefully um, bring some light to some of this. Ne next slide. To understand these things, we've got to understand the rule of Rome. Let me see if I can explain this as briefly as I can. Rome was ruled by a group of people called the Caesars. The first Caesar was a guy named Julius Caesar. He was amazing. He combined the whole world under one rule and he invented the salad. Unbelievable, this guy. Now, Julius Caesar claimed to be God. Now, if you know your history, Julius Caesar died by being stabbed in the back by a guy named Brutus. Now, this sort of hurt his God claims. The idea was, bro, if you were actually God, you probably should have seen that coming. Nonetheless, here's what happened. At Julius Caesar's funeral, this is what the historians say, a strange star appeared in the sky that wasn't there before and moved across the sky. And what some historians say is that it lit up the day and the night sky for seven days. Probably an exaggeration, but nonetheless, that's what they thought. Now, this is, uh, astronomers have figured this out. They actually know what this is now. Um, they, they actually called it Caesar's Star back then. Today, they call it Caesar's Comet. There was a rock song about this in the 70s. Oh, Caesar's Comet. The idea was, and they could tell you now because of software, they could tell you where in the universe Caesar's Comet is. But what happened was, is a comet came so close to Earth that it lit up the day and the night sky. Now think about this from a primitive point of view. If you're a primitive person and a guy who said he was God dies and at his funeral, a star that wasn't there before appears and moves across the sky, what are you thinking? You're thinking, oh yeah, that guy must have been God. And that's what they did. They said, see, 
He actually was God, and he's taken his seat amongst the council of the gods. Now, one person in particular is going to benefit from this. His name was Octavius. Octavius was Julius Caesar's great nephew who took over the empire and took on the name Caesar Augustus. Now, the reason he took on the empire was because Caesar was so impressed that he saved his butt from behind enemy lines in Gaul that he adopted him and made his great nephew the heir. So Caesar Augustus said this, See? My dad was God. Okay, not his dad. It was his uncle. See, my dad is God. And that makes me the son of God. And if I'm the son of God, that I should be worshipped. Actually, if I'm the son of God, I should be worshipped primarily. So, Caesar Augustus instituted a 12-day celebration of his birth. It lasted from December 19th to December 31st every year. And he called that celebration Advent. It was called the Advent of Caesar Augustus, right? On the first day of Christmas, much really, right, right. This is this is what's happening now. Now, how do you get word from Spain to India that you are actually God in flesh? How do you do that? Because here's the thing: no electricity, no social media, no Twitter. Town criers are highly unreliable, no printing press, no newspapers. So here's what the Roman Empire did. When they wanted to get a message around, they would print it on money. If it was official Roman currency, that was the government thing. Now here is the Caesar Augustus star coin. This was the coin that Caesar Augustus put out about himself. As you can see there on the left, that's the head of Caesar Augustus. And on the right, you have a giant star. And around that, it says, God saves. Caesar Augustus, God saves. So, so this is the kind of propaganda. Now, here's what happened, right? There was a guy named Herod. And Herod had to choose which side to take in a civil war between Caesar and Pompey. And Herod chose the correct side. He chose Caesar because Caesar ended up winning. And Caesar awarded him with the token kingship of all of Israel. Herod died in 4 BC. So what they did was is they divided Israel into three parts. And they gave it to Herod's three surviving sons. Um, Archelaus in the south. Herod Antipas in the Galilean region, and then Philip in the north, which is why in the north you have the city Caesarea Philippi, literally a city built for Caesar's honor by Philip. This guy was a brown noser like you cannot believe. So Herod Antipas was in charge of the Galilean region. In 22 AD, Archelaus had made such a mess of Judea that Caesar removed him and replaced him with a guy named Pilate. Yes, this Pilate. So what's happening in this story is Jesus is standing in Jerusalem, which is under Pilate's jurisdiction, but he's actually a citizen of Galilee, which makes him technically under Herod's jurisdiction. And Pilate doesn't want to start crossing um, Herod. So they got to get together and do all this stuff, which leads me to this question. Why is Pilate and Herod even in Jerusalem? Here's the reason why. This whole thing is taking place around a festival called Passover. Now, here's what happened. In 22 AD, Caesar gave Pilate charge of the Judean region. And he said, all I want you to do is make sure that these crazy Jews quit rioting. That's your whole job. You can have an entire mansion on the Mediterranean Sea in Caesarea as long as you make sure these crazy Jews don't riot. That is your number one priority. Think about your Bible. How often is Pilate just obsessed with whether they're going to riot or not. That's the reason why. Now, here's Passover, right? Passover is every year. If you could possibly come to Jerusalem, 300 
thousand Jews or so come together. They eat the biggest meal of the year. They drink four glasses of wine and they sing songs. And those songs go something like this. They sing about their God's will to free them from the oppressive people, which in this case happens to be Rome and Pilate. Now, if your job is to make sure people don't riot, (laughs) can you think of an environment more conducive to a riot than 300,000 people getting together, eating too much, drinking too much, and then singing songs about their God's will to deliver them from you? There is no environment more conducive to a riot than that. And think about it, and don't be too self-righteous about this. Could you imagine if 300,000 people of a different religion got together in Olympic Park in London and they started singing songs about their God's will to deliver them from the awful British regime? How comfortable would you actually be with that? 300,000 people singing songs about their God's will to deliver them from you. So Pilate, whose job description is to keep people from rioting, he's got to stop this. So here's what he did. He would come into Jerusalem every year at Passover. Why is Pilate and Herod there? Because it's Passover. That's why. And they would come in every year at Passover to make sure people didn't riot. And here's how they did it. Next slide. Let me show you this. This is a Roman aquila. It's an eagle on a stick. There's no stick there, but they, they would sit that on a flagpole. Here's what happened. The ancient Roman Empire would put birds like this on top of flagpoles to show their dominance in militarily occupied territories, right? So the eagle on a stick represented Roman dominance when they were actually living in your town with a military presence, which leads me to all kinds of questions about what major superpower in the world today puts an eagle on top of their flagpoles to show their dominance militarily when they're in someone else's country. God bless America, right? This is, this is still going on. This was actually true of the Nazis as well. Think about your World War II uh, documentaries. When the Nazis took over your town, they would march in with these flags, and on top of those flags were birds on top of sticks, and they sort of looked like, you know, right? right? This, this is a common, that was okay. You guys don't look very impressed with that. That was a, right? so yeah, if you could bring that bird back up. So Here's what would happen, right? So Pilate would come into Jerusalem. You got to picture this. 300,000 people singing songs about their God's will to deliver them from you. And Pilate would show up and he would hold the eagle out. And here was the law. When he held the eagle over you, you had to stop what you were doing and acknowledge the authority of Rome. In other words, you can sing whatever song you want as long as you acknowledge the fact that the only reason you're allowed to sing is we allow you to sing. In 37 BC, Herod the Great put a giant eagle over the top of the temple in Jerusalem to give testimony that even Israel's God submits to Rome. That was to appease Caesar. Some overzealous rabbi students climbed that pole and tore that eagle down. They found them and burned them alive. These people were absolutely insane. See, this story was not, is not just about one moment at one time. This is a story about all of us. This is a story about the songs we just sang. This is, this, is story, this is a story about all of us who get together in freedom on a Tuesday night and we sing songs about God's will to deliver us from anything that's oppressing us. And we are free.
free to do so. And it's about that. But it's also about when we go to bed tonight and that voice of the eagle on a stick is telling us, I still sing whatever song you want, but you know I'm still in charge. My name is depression and you'll bow. My name is anger and you'll bow. My name is lust and you'll bow. My name is rejection and you'll bow. My name is poverty and you have. Go to church, fine. Sing your songs about God's will to deliver you. But you know and I know I'm the eagle on the stick and I get the final word. This is not just a story about God wanting to forgive us. This is a story about God's will not to just forgive us, but to set us free from the eagles on a stick everywhere. This is what's going on. Now... Pilate would do so as the head of the Calvary. The head of the Calvary, he'd come in on a war horse. He'd find the biggest war horse he could find. And as the biggest war horse, he would come in on his chariot on the war horse holding the eagle on a stick. Let me show you a map of Jerusalem and see if I could uh, show you how this worked, okay? I, I have a laser pointer, but with TVs, that won't work. So I'm going to have to use, I'm going to use my hand, right? So Pilate lived way up here, like way up here, like up above the ceiling. And he, that's Caesarea. And he would come down on his war horse this way through that F. The F's not really there, right? But he'd come down through the F and he would enter the city right here. This was where the army barracks were. Now, this valley right here, that's called Gehenna, hell. So he would come down through this, riding a war horse right through the gates of hell and he would enter the city this way. Now, this is Passover. He's coming down on a war horse right through hell. Jesus, on the other hand, is coming into the city this way. We know that because we can read about it. Jesus comes in from Bethany to Bethpage through the Mount of Olives. So this whole area here is called the Mount of Olives, right? Which, by the way, the Mount of Olives, there's no olives. Okay, if you've ever been there, like the Mount of Olives, there ain't no olives. The Mount of Olives is the biggest cemetery you've ever seen in your life. I'll, I'll show you that in a second. So, this, so Jesus comes in. From Bethany to Bethpage through the Mount of Olives, right? And it's a cemetery. Now, if you're riding through a cemetery, what is there a whole heap of? Yeah, dead people. Yes, 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 yes. The dead. Yes, yes, yes. You'd see gravestones everywhere. So he comes in this way and goes through Gethsemane into the city this way. There's the temple. So, so just to review, Pilate's coming in this way riding a war horse through the gates of hell. Jesus is riding a donkey from Bethany to Bethpage, through the Mount of Olives Cemetery, where there's heaps of stones, into the city that way. Let, let me show you a picture of the Mount of Olives. Here it is. There it is. Look at all the olives. Right? <laughs> the, reason that, the, the reason that photo is of such high quality is because I took it myself. The, um, the, like, this, is, this is the biggest cemetery you've, uh, uh, it's the biggest cemetery I've ever seen. It is miles of dead bodies. Like, and, and this is very old. That, that, that's, Malak, that's, Zacharias, that's Zachariah's tomb. That's Malachi's tomb. That's Micah's tomb up, up there. And here's what's interesting is, is they, they told people in Jewish tradition that when Messiah establishes his kingdom, he would do so from the Mount of Olives and there'd be a resurrection. So here's what they did. They charged people a premium to be buried there. The idea was is when Messiah comes back and establishes his kingdom, you'll have the shortest walk into the city. Now, here's the thing. If, if, if you... If you notice, the, the Muslims took over the city later, and they knew, this, they knew this tradition. So I don't know if you, can, if, you, if you can see this. There's the Mount of Olives, right? See this right here? That's on this side of the valley. What, the, what, what 
what the Muslims did is they put a, another cemetery here. And the idea was, is that the resurrection, these people will rise too and they could fight. That was, that, that, was, that was the idea that's going on. Now, as you could see, this road that goes down here, right? The road that goes down here. That's the road Jesus would have rode his donkey on. Now, today it's pavement and buses. But back then, that road was still there. Let, let me show you a picture from that side. So this is, these are the stones, the gravestones. The, the ground's too hard there to bury people. So they bury them above ground in these um, case, in these stone, uh, these stone cases. And it's just millions of them, just one after the other. Anyway, so that guy's been there for a very, very, very long time. And that's, that's where Jesus was. All right, so next slide. So once again, just to review, Pilate comes down from Caesarea through the F on a war horse through hell. Jesus comes on a donkey through the Mount of Olives Cemetery where there's heaps of those gravestones and into the city that way riding a donkey. Now, let's see if that historical background helps us understand some of the story. Next slide. This is Luke 21. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening, he went out and spent the night on the Mount of Olives. Now, that makes sense. It's just right there. But also, if you want to get away from people, a good way to do that is to camp out between gravestones. Where's Jesus? We really need to see him. Well, he's sleeping between the dead again. They like him over there, right? Good luck. No, no. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. That makes sense. Next slide. All right. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, they'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king is coming, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now this is something that is, no, go, go back for a second. Go back. Yep. Now this is something called a remez. Right now, a remez is a hint, an illusion, or an echo. Right? They would do this all the time in the first century. Let me let me tell you why. Let, let's let's say that a government took over London or the UK, right, and said it is now illegal to own a Bible, have a Bible, um, quote the Bible. Um, it's it, we're going to confiscate all Bibles and all electronic means to access one. They're now gone. And let's say they successfully do that. What's the one thing they cannot take from you? Your memory. Here's the problem. They don't know the Bible, but you don't want to be too obvious. So here's what they would do. They lived in an occupied country, right? So here's what they would do. They would quote half of a scripture, knowing people had memorized the other half, and they would finish it in their head, right? So it'd be like if I said, hey, remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only right? right? But you do it in your head or you get shot. So you get, yeah, gave his only right, right? All right. Hey, remember, all things work together for the good of those who love God, right? That's, that's how this works. So when Matthew says, hey, this is what the prophet's talking about. When your king is coming from the Mount of Olives on a donkey, remember that prophecy? That's what he's talking about. Now, he doesn't name the prophet because it, it leads to all kinds of questions like which prophet. Of course, they would have known. This is a remez. Let me show you the whole prophecy and remember what they would have thought. Next slide. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king is coming. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's the part Matthew quotes. Here's the part they would have thought. And I will take away the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations. And his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Ooh. 
You see why Matthew left that off? He's partial to living, right? Essentially, Matthew's pointing out, hey, when our guy's coming in on a donkey, that's the beginning of the end of the guy on the war horse. That's the beginning of the end of that, right? Check this next slide. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, that's the picture I just showed you. It's a cemetery. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices, right? Now think about this. There's already all these people eating and drinking wine and singing songs. And then someone points out, this is what Zachariah's talking about. Now, what's going to happen is that or the songs are going to get more um, like raise the roof, right? Here's the problem. You got Pilate on the other side. And if he hears you singing of a new king, everyone is going to die by being hung on a tree. You don't want to do that. So people with good sense are going, but hold it down. I'm, I'm with you. I agree, but come on. Hold it down. Can this not wait a week when Pilate's gone? Like, hey, hey, listen. Can, can you hold it down? But no, 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 no. No, there are four glasses of wine in, baby. Come on. There's no holding this back. They're going for it, man. Woo, praise the God, right? Blessed is the king. Man, king. Yeesh. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's supposed to be Caesar, but they're talking about Jesus. This is, oh, man. Peace in heaven. Glory to God in the highest. Keep going. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd were like, Rabbi, tone them down. Rebuke them. Tone them down. This is dangerous. Now, watch what Jesus says. I tell you, if they keep quiet, then these stones are going to cry out. Well, where is he? He's in a cemetery. Like when I was a kid, my Sunday school teacher was like, if you quit praising, that street could start singing. Like, that's creepy. Right? No, 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 what? No, you better keep your praise on. You better get your praise on. You quit praise. You lose your praise. That street is going to cry out. That is weird and creepy. No, no, no. What's Jesus saying? He's like, this, this, is, my, this is my time. And you're either with me or not. But if you're not, we'll have a bad episode of The Walking Dead. You choose. Like, this is, next one. So Pilate comes down riding his wars through that F. Jesus rides his donkey through the Mount of Olives where there's stones that way. Now, anytime you read a scripture, you want to ask two things at least. One, what happened? Two, more importantly, What's happening in me right now because of it? What difference does it make if we know all this? If it doesn't fundamentally shift the way we interact in our world? What difference does it make if we believe all the right things? If it doesn't fundamentally shift the way we see our world, the way we treat others, the way we, the way we treat our wives and our children and our husbands. So I want to end tonight with about a, I don't know, five to 10 minute talk on, so what? What can we learn from this? What does this teach us about the kind of person Jesus was and the kind of person we're called to be? So let's answer a few questions. Next slide. So why was Jesus killed? Jesus was killed because he confronted people who were controlling the temple and working with Pilate in order to use people's spiritual guilt to live in mansions. That's why he was killed. Because when you take on corrupt systems of horrendous, oppressive power, you can't help but pay for that with your life. But here's my question. What about us? What do we do with this? What do we, what do, we do? So what? We live in Colchester. Tomorrow, we got to drive to Heathrow and then to Wales. What do you do? Tomorrow, i got to catch the train. Tomorrow, I've got I've to teach kids that don't care if I'm even there. So what? Tomorrow, i got to pastor a church. These people are pretty unappreciative. 
So what? Hey, tomorrow I'm married to a guy that I'm not sure even know I exist. I'm married to a woman, and you wouldn't understand what it's like to live with her. Tomorrow I've got to be a parent to two great children. What does that mean? I've got to interact on these roads that I swear whoever invented the roads in the United Kingdom thought no one would ever live here. I get it. I get it. I get it. Right? What do we do? I would say if you've tuned out, if you're like, I hate history, Shane, I tuned you out. I think the Ottoman Empire is a furniture store, and I'm fine with that. It's okay. Come back now, and let's ask ourselves, what do we do with this? Next slide. I think the main application that we could think about tonight is there's two ways to build your life. There's two ways. You could do as a ruling empire, or you can build it as a humble servant. There's two ways to be a husband. You can rule! You can serve. You can get up under your family and make them all better. There's two ways to be a wife. You can rule. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. (laughs) Or you could get up underneath your family and make them all better. There's two ways. There's two ways to order your food at a restaurant. You can rule over that waitress. She's there to serve you. Or you can make her day better. You can make his day better. There's two ways. There's two ways. There's, there's two ways to travel down the A133 with roundabouts with six exits. And I'm shifting with my left hand. And I'm confused. And there's two ways. There's two ways when you run up behind an American who doesn't belong here. There's two ways. There's, there's two ways to deal with it as loyal Colchesterites. You can, you can rule over him and honk and point your finger at the sky. And two ways. Or you can... You can humble yourself and realize he probably doesn't know where he's going. And he's trying to listen to a GPS in his ear while shifting with his left hand. And, and make his world better that way. There's two ways. There's two, way, there's two ways to handle it when someone cuts you off in traffic. There is. There's two ways. There's two ways to handle it as a passenger in a car. There's two ways. There's two ways. There's two ways to handle it when they're taking too long to bring you drinks. There is. There's two ways. There's two ways. You could do it as an oppressor. Or you can do it as a liberator. How are we going to live our world? See, this story, if anything, there's so many layers to this story. But if anything, this story illustrates two kinds of kingdoms. The kingdom of Caesar, who is built by ruling and oppression and forcing things. Or, or, or the kingdoms of this Christ, which is what we're here to build. And the kingdoms of this Christ is built on humility, service, freedom. It's built on these sorts of things. There's two ways to build your life. You could do it from the gates of hell. Or you could do it from the house of God. You could bring hell to your whole world. You could bring tension and strife and distress and stress and conflict and a lack of peace. Or you can come into your world through the house of God and bring presence and peace and compassion and kindness and love and acceptance and tolerance. This story illustrates two ways to build a a city. One way is from the gates of hell. You can do it that way. You can. And, And let's be honest. All of us have at some point. And the other way to build your life is from the presence of God. And let's be honest, all of us have done that as well. My challenge to people who come to church on a Tuesday night is, is not whether you believe in Jesus. I, I just assume you are. That fine. But my question, I'm not actually not concerned about that at all. My question isn't, do you believe the right doctrines about Jesus? But rather, has Jesus become a fundamental way of how we see our entire world? Maybe the easiest way to remember tonight is simply this. There's two ways to build your life. You could do it as a war horse. Or as a donkey. There's two ways. 
There's two ways. There's two ways. Let's, let's, be, let, let's, let's actually be very specific about this. There's, there's, two ways, there's two ways to be a wife. There, there's two ways to respond when your husband leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time. Yeah, there is. You could be a war horse. Pick up your underwear, you stupid idiot. Of course, you've just insulted the intelligence of a man that would gladly die for everybody if an intruder came in. There's always donkey. Oh. <laughs> Look at that. The sweet, handsome, respectable, intelligent father of my children has left his nasty, stinking underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time. But you know what? I know that he would gladly die for all of us if an intruder came in, so I'll just call that even. There's always donkey. And I would say in general, you'll never regret the humble road. You'll always regret yelling. There's two ways to be a husband when your wife falls asleep too early for your liking. <laughs> There's two ways. You could be a horse. Get up. I have needs, woman. Which is always remarkably effective. There's always donkey. Oh, look. This sweet, attractive, awesome mother of my children is tired. Why don't we just let her rest? Always donkey. There's two ways to handle it when someone cuts you off in traffic. They go, wars! You can pull up beside them, not on my watch, mister. Recut them back off. Point your middle finger at the sky. While your bumper sticker invites them to church. <laughs> you got a bumper sticker, got Jesus? Question mark. The fish on the car, you know. All the announcements that we believe all the right things, but our behavior is awful. There's two ways. You can always be a donkey. You can always. Oh, look. They're in a bigger hurry than I am. You know, the central theme of scripture is to treat others and consider them better than myself. I'm going to practice that in this one moment. We could make Christianity very compelling if we did that. It's two ways to handle it when a waitress messes up your order. You could be a war horse and let her know all about herself. Get her in trouble with the management. Or you go, wait a minute, how would I want to be treated if I made a mistake? And we can humble ourselves and make her life better today and bring heaven to her world. Let, let, let's be very specific. Next slide. As if that wasn't specific enough. There's two ways to handle conflict. You can be a war horse. My way or the highway. You can always be a donkey. See, this is the beauty of this story. We all have a choice about how we're going to build our world. Are we going to do it like Pilate did from the back of a war horse? Or are we going to do it like our God did from the back of a donkey, humble, lowly, serving others? There's two ways to deal with tragedy. You can be a war horse. Or you could be a donkey. There, there's two ways to run your business. There's two ways to be a boss. You could be a war horse. My way. Highway. And of course, you'll be fighting with your employees for, you know, cheating the clock and stealing from you. And this. Or you could get up underneath your employees and make everybody better. And those people would go to hell with gasoline drawers on for you. You, there's two, there's two ways. There's two ways. 
to build. <laughs> Thank you. You're making me feel like Chris Rock up here. That's very nice of you, being such a donkey right now. It's so good. It's so good. You're making me feel all nice and warm on the inside. Next, next slide. <laughs> There's two ways to lead your ministry. <laughs> I've lost the fourth row, everybody. There's two ways to lead your ministry. You can be a war horse. I am the man of God here. Right? Or you can get up underneath people. And listen, if you have to tell people you're in charge, you're not in charge. Wow. Right? Wow. Right? I'm the head of this household. Okay. You know, you're the head. She's the neck. She's turning you any way she wants. And if you think you're in charge of your house, go home tomorrow and rearrange all the furniture and see how well that flies. Yeah, dude, no. <laughs> you're not. You're not. You're not in charge. It's all a farce. You're not in charge. You know, I, I don't know. If, in, in case you haven't realized this, the, the, the women control everything. <laughs> There's like literally any place you think you're in charge, you're not. You're not in charge. You may as well just succumb to that. There's two ways. There's two ways to raise your family. Two ways to be a parent. You can exacerbate your children to wrath by lording over them. Or you can get up underneath them and let them know that, that whatever correction's there, it's always to make them better. And there, there, there is a way to parent humbly. There is. There are two ways to deal with disappointment. There's two ways to handle it when things don't go our way. You say, Shane, what's your point? In case I haven't made it clear. My point is, is that there's two ways to build your life. And one way which will always be tempting is to build your life like Caesar did. Lording over. Being in charge. Making sure people bow to us. The other way is like our Lord Jesus. And for people in church on a Tuesday night, I'm not concerned with whether you believe in Jesus. Not my concern. My concern is, is has our belief in Jesus, is it more profound than just belief in a doctrine, but rather a fundamental way of seeing our world? Because until our connection with Jesus is so profound that it affects how we treat the waitress, how it affects how we treat our wives, our husbands, our children, people in the car, people on the road, people at the service station, until it affects how we treat the marginalized, the poor, the afflicted, and how we treat people who could do nothing in return for us, until it invades all of that, it's not less truthful, it's just less meaningful. And I, and I, I if you're still telling the truth but truth has its most meaning when the world sees us actually living it out there are two ways to build your life from the back of a war horse or from the back of a donkey so let's stop and let's give this 20 seconds of proper reflection let's just be quiet and why don't we just bring this before the lord if if you want to pray this prayer underneath your breath quietly you can say something like this holy spirit would you bring to my mind a place i've been a war horse this week i'm ready to hear it Maybe you're a husband and you know, you know, in the last seven days, you've been a war horse to your wife or your kids. Maybe you're a wife and you know, in the last seven days, you've been a war horse to your wife or kids, to your husband or kids, sorry. Maybe you're a boss and you're like, you know what? I got to treat that employee better. I got to do that. I, I got to do that. And I, I don't want anybody to leave here guilty. I want us to leave here encouraged and empowered. Hey. So why don't you just right now underneath your breath say, Lord, I'll never be perfect. But with your help, I'd love, I'd love to build my life like you did. I'd love to do that. Maybe you need to apologize to your wife before tonight's over. And you, you, you ladies, if they do, don't, don't make it a discussion. Just accept, accept it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. 
Maybe, maybe your wife, you need to apologize to him. I'm sorry for being a war horse. I'm going to do my best to be a donkey. Lord, would you empower us not to just be believers in doctrine, but rather a fundamental way of seeing our world. Amen. Would you look this way? Thank you so much for letting me be your guest tonight. I hope you really enjoyed that. I hope Jesus got bigger. I hope the cross worked better. I hope the resurrection central. I hope scriptures got bigger, not smaller. I hope that story took on a new light um, for all of us and, in, and, and inspires us to, to, to hunger more for God's word. I hope it does. I bless you, my brothers and sisters, to not just be people who go to heaven when you die, but be people who bring heaven to every place you see hell here. I bless you. I bless you to be people who, who don't just believe in Jesus, but allow Jesus to be the way that we see our whole world. I bless you to be people who are courageous enough to die to the war horse and always be brave enough to choose to be a donkey, but never, ever, ever be a jackass. Grace and peace, everybody. God bless.